0: Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani. And I'm Chuck Mindenhall. And I'm P.T. Carroll. And together we are 3Pack. Join us on the brand new Spotify Live app immediately after all of the biggest fights in combat sports. And also during the weigh-ins because that's when the real drama happens. So what are you waiting for? Follow the Ringworm MMA show right now
1: on our exclusive Spotify podcast feed. And come join the best community in MMA. Peace! We're out of here. What up, what up, what up? This is Logan Murdoch, Real Ones. Um, had a really great episode with Howard Beck. Just so you know, there might be a little bit of ambient noise on my mic. Um, there's been a little re- renovations at the pad, so might be a little bit of drilling going on. But great episode, nonetheless, with, uh, with Howard Beck. So tap in. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Poppin. Logan Murdoch here. Um, no Rajah Bell. He is under the weather. So we got an honorary Roman one in the building. Um, someone is a friend of the show. Um, he comes on all the time. He's here maybe every once, every couple of months. He's our guy. He's the man, the myth, the legend. Howard motherfucking Beck. How you doing, Howard? I'm good. That's, in fact, the way they printed it on my birth certificate at the Oakland Kaiser, in fact. Middle name motherfucking... Oh. Yeah. Wait are you are you Oakland Kaiser you' that's that's your is that your uh yes, sir me
0: me and me and me and the vice president
1: there you go. So me <laughs> so you are uh, Oakland Kaiser. I'm across the street at Summit. So you know we were right right across born right across the street from each other.
0: Is there is there an Oakland hospital rivalry? Like, do you think they like they walk out of their buildings at each other each day and like kind of sneer across the street
1: from each other? Is there a, is that a thing? I don't know. I never. I I, I sometimes think about that when I'm driving down Broadway. i was like, because you know, on one side there's the big Kaiser Institution, and then you go on the other side, of, it's Summit. It's 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 just right over there. Maybe maybe I don't know. I'm a. I'm a that might be some investigative journalism I do soon.
0: There you go. There's a whole cultural <laughs> exploration there to do, I'm sure. But uh, good to be with you. Good to be an honorary real one, not as real as you and uh, and and Raja, but um, you know, I'll I'll do what I can. I'll elevate as as much as I'm capable of.
1: Man, you know you you got. But uh, I want to talk real quick. We're gonna get into a lot some of some of um some of Beck's work in a second. I was in Chase Center in San Francisco over the weekend for. What I think is one of the bigger matchups of the, of the early season thus far, Warriors-Celtics, um, it was one of those games where um, there's a few games on the calendar that just matter more than the others, and I think this was one of those just with the, uh, with the Celtics being as good as they've been over the course of the season and just mashing everybody. And the Warriors, who are a team that is still trying to get right you know they're they're a team that 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 went through its lumps. You know the the Jordan Poole Draymond Green situation to start, and just losing um, to start the season pretty pretty big. Um, so Howard, I, I want to give my thoughts on this. I, I and I want to start with the Celtics when and I told you how that this is a that that was a game that this, that that everyone circles on their calendar. One of those games you have to win and. I was really expecting a statement went out of the Celtics, one of those games where you um, exercise a lot of demons in you and you kick the shit out of the team that beats you in a regular season game on a national scale. Did not see that from the Celtics, and it kind of disappointed me. It's, I know it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but how much should I look into this game in terms of what the Celtics are going to do f- going forward? So one of the
0: tra- drawbacks of covering this league for as long as I have year 26, um, is that these these signature matchups, these marquee games, these big rivalry games, the finals rematch doesn't quite hit me the same way, maybe as it once did. I'm a little like numb to the whole idea of like statement game in December. It it doesn't exist. And I really don't think it exists for a team like the Warriors that if I've been there, done that, they they have at a whole other level, right? Teams won a bunch of championships, including the most recent one. They don't need to prove anything to themselves. I, it's not that it doesn't matter. I think it's still like a good, like marker for them. It's nice that they in in, in this part of the season where they've kind of gotten their feet back onto them and they're playing more like themselves again. They're still not where they want to be in the standings. They still got some guys who you know quite haven't quite got their games together yet. The bench is still an issue, but beating the Celtics pretty handily in their first rematch when the Celtics came in as arguably the best team in the NBA I think is is good. I don't put that much on it and I don't think the Warriors probably will either but I think that's a nice box for them to check. The Celtics side of it actually is interesting though. I think that's different because they're not the team that's won championships. They're not the team that's all in their 30s and that's already like you know established who they are. They're still the young hungry team that had a chance to win the championship and then lost the last three games of the finals and got 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 beat pretty handily then. Um, had some doubts raised about them individually, collectively. They go out, they bring in Brogdon, they bring in uh, Gallinari, who of course is not playing because he's hurt. Uh, they certainly expected better of themselves. And when Jason Tatum, after the game, said, oh, did did the, the whole you guys thing? You know, we didn't think it was a big statement game. You guys did. The media did. The fans did. It wasn't a big deal I'm sorry. Bullshit. Like <laughs> come on.
1: Yep. Who are you? Who are you yep. think
0: you're fooling? And it's fine if it means something to you. Go ahead and just say yeah it meant something and we lost and it sucks and we'll get them next time. That I'd, I'd I'd be at least that would be believable. I I'd, I'd be more accepting yeah. of that than just saying oh it didn't mean anything. No, like this is the team you're chasing. Now you're also you, you got to beat the Bucks. You might have to deal with the Sixers at some point or the Nets at some point. The Warriors may not even be the team in the finals that you face in June, should you make it back. But they are the team that kept you from winning a championship in the moment that you got as close as you've ever been. Don't tell me it doesn't matter. It, it matters.
1: By the by the way, by the way, by the way, they won, they won in your building. The Warriors won in your building, too. Yeah. And just yeah. It, it really turned up afterwards, as you as you and I saw. And they listened
0: to it and they heard it and they were bothered by it. And my colleague Chris Mannix wrote extensively and very nicely about that moment and what it meant to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the rest of them to have to hear that in their building that night and how that drove them in the offseason. Listen, everybody in this league, especially the longer you've been in this league, whether it's manufacturing ways to keep yourself motivated, whether it's real stuff to keep yourself motivated, every season you come in with something, right? Even the Warriors have talked about this at times. Like, they, you had to reshuffle the roster to get some fresh blood. You need some guys who haven't been there. You need to find new things to chase to keep yourself engaged at a high level. The Celtics didn't even need to manufacture anything. That thing is real. So for them to downplay it afterward is kind of silly. I do think it matters to the extent that the the Celtics, you know, they, they, they need to establish themselves at an elite level night in, night out. They have the season overall. That's a game that would have cemented it that much further. And they didn't get it. That's fine. I don't think, listen, I don't think it matters ultimately in terms of whether they can win the East or whether they can win the championship. They're, they're incredible. They're a great team um and they've they've been they've been playing out of their minds especially uh, you know their their offense has been on like this this historic pace they'll they'll be fine but the game meant something
1: it definitely meant something and you and I know this back where if you're a team that's that's vying to win a title there's you obviously got to win a lot of games you got to win you know win do a lot of things to 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 get to that point but the one thing you have to do in this league is if you're gunning for a title you have to win the right games right where there's probably like four or five games that you, you have to win. And I'm not putting hella stock onto this this game in particular. I was disappointed in what I saw from the Celtics, but the the biggest reason I think I was disappointed was this is a team that they remind me a lot, and this is going to make a lot of people pissed off. They remind me a lot of the 8 09 Lakers, if that makes sense, right? Where a team where that got... That probably wasn't ready for the moment, good enough to get to the finals, wasn't ready for the moment, gets blown out, gets beaten, and the next year, you remember that year, they just had a fuck you type year, where they I think they won 65 games. They go to the finals, they beat they beat the Magic. That was that was nine, right? Lost to the Celtics in 08. Lost to the Lost Celtics 08, in 8. Beat 09. the Magic
0: in nine. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that team that 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 went on to beat the Magic in 09, I, I kind of seen some similarities with this team just in terms of Or at least that's what I what I was hoping that they would be right when I when I watched them when I watched them play, Um, but just because they were just just mashing people to start the season, and I felt like this was going to be the culmination. Where I remember I was talking to a lot of people pregame, just like, "Yo, man, I think this is going to be a statement win for the for the uh, for the Celtics. Like this is going to be a game. The Warriors are reeling. Yeah, they're on a mini run, but they were they came in I think losing two straight, and. The Celtics came off a win against Phoenix, and we'll talk about Phoenix in a second, where they just utterly embarrassed the Suns. <laughs> they beat them by like 40 points. You think that they're just going to keep rolling and rolling. And honestly, just looking in the... You know, I'm a vibes checker, Beck. It definitely looked like one of those... It, it looked like the same games that we saw in the finals where Tatum is just somehow hesitant. And he... they They had... They the Warriors are missing Wiggins. They had Looney. They had sometimes Jordan Poole on on um on Jason Tatum. They just they had guys that you would think that Jason Tatum could just eat for lunch. And he he just he struggled mightily throughout the game. Um it 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 didn't seem it seemed like the Celtics are the Celtics are the Celtics. And I I I'm, I think I, I don't. I don't want to hedge too much because it's the, it's this December. But it does. It it did seem disappointing to see the effort that they brought out, and then for Jason Tatum to be like, "This is a you guys thing," and you guys, nah, man, this is Saturday night. This is this is a this is the Saturday ABC showcase. They put two this these two teams on the schedule for a reason. You knew what this was. This is a time for you guys to to do something, and it didn't happen. Should I be that disappointed in in the Celtics in the way that I am out?
0: I think there's. I think that's fair to to an extent, right? Because the Jason Tatum we saw. Let's focus on him for a second, because he's kind of the glaring aspect of that that game and that loss for them. The Jason Tatum that we saw for the first month or so of this season, like nobody in the NBA was playing better, right? Like yeah, so, best
1: player in the NBA vibes going for him.
0: But yeah, right. Like may not literally be, may or may not literally be, but best player in the NBA vibes, as you say, yes. Like, I'm in the conversation, folks. Deal with it. I'm here. I'm in the MVP discussion, and I'm going to be for the next 10 years. And, and in so many aspects of the game, too, right? Like, like he was, you know, he's he's scoring from everywhere. He's mixing it up. He's defending at his usual level. His playmaking, I think, is, is at his, probably his all-time best. He's doing everything. He's being the guy. It's not just going out there and putting up numbers. It was being the guy. It was leading his team. It was elevating his team. And... Like, nothing's changed. He's, I think he's still that guy. But he wasn't that night. He wasn't that night against the team that you should most want to beat. And the team that you struggled against in the finals, notably. To So to have a, a performance reminiscent of that is a little, you know, mildly troubling. Again, it's just December. It's just December. But you want, yeah, you want to get that one. And you you, like, it's hard not to look at it and go like, oh, you know, maybe this team has you, maybe this team's in your head a little bit, you know? or maybe this team just really knows how to defend you and put you in uncomfortable spots. And yeah. you know, you'd have to go back and rewatch it to see how true that might be, but you know, we're we're human. We look for trends, right? Jason Tatum yeah. struggling against the Warriors while being dominant almost all the rest of his of, of his games is kind of a trend at this point and it will be until he proves otherwise. So, you know, um by the way, I was just looking this up while we were talking like for all the talk of, of the Warriors' struggles, and those were obviously very real, over the last 15 games, they're now actually a top 10 defensive team. Um, and that was the part that everybody was most worried about, of course. Um, you know, Clay coming around physically is is part of that. Uh, you know, Draymond Wiggins, everybody, and so when when you know when they've got all those guys, they can throw at Tatum and keep mixing it up against them the same way that they did in the finals. Um, that's part of it. Like, part of it is that they're I don't know if they're defending quite back to the level that they were last season, but um last 15 games offensive rating is is eighth and defensive rating is seventh so they've they've kind of come around like the Warriors are kind of rounding into shape you know in in the abstract statistically here
1: all right so I I was going to go lead into my next question do you still believe in the Warriors institution let me preface this question because when I when I watched the Celtics the, the the game was a microcosm of this right you you see the Celtics like damn they could be they could, they should be beating this team. And then the institution of the Warriors always wins out. It just seemed like ah, the Warriors okay, were inevitable in that situation. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Do yeah. you still no. believe in the yeah. inevitability of what the Warriors bring?
0: So uh, I'm going to answer that. But first, I'm going to tell you why I, I, I momentarily thought you might be alluding to something else. I thought, ooh, the Warriors institution. Like, do we believe in a team that has not extended Bob Myers, The new, that news dropping hours before they play that game, and an institution that, um, Invested hard, invested heavily into the idea of the two timelines, the dual track, and that's not looking all that great at the moment. So I thought you were kind of going bro- more broadly, like
1: we can go into that after that. I meant more, right, so yeah. let's go. Let's let's explore that. Let's explore that, though. Do right. You believe? Let's go into that, and then we can talk about the talk about the game itself.
0: Yeah, because I do still believe in the Warriors for this season. Broadly, listen, Steve Kerr would probably be the first person to say everything ends. Right, he's been part of that before, obviously with the Bulls. Uh, most notably, but like everything ends. I'm not saying it's time for the Warriors to end. And I don't think they're ready to end. And I don't I don't think that's coming immediately, but we're obviously we're getting closer based on ages and everything else. I I don't think Bob Myers is leaving. That's just my gut. I don't gut.
1: think so either. I but I, I don't
0: if he did, you and I would start to think about your the the other version of this question. Ooh, the Warriors as an institution, what does it mean what does a, a Warriors franchise without Bob Myers mean?
1: Well, in the in the, in the in the general sense, though, if you talk about the Warriors institution as a whole, we don't give it a lot of credence. We don't really talk about this, but the institution in a lot of ways is Bob Myers. He is the guy that kind of kept that glue together. He is the guy that when Draymond goes off the, off the rails, he brings him back into the fold, right? And he can also, and especially at a time like this, when you start the season with, as much controversy as the Warriors did, and you're going into a summer that is probably one of the most the, the most uncertain summers for the Warriors that we've kind of had in recent memory. I think this is definitely the the summer with the most questions since 2019 when Kevin left. But sure. you, you this is if anything, and this is why this is the argument that Bob Myers gets resigned and they, that they go off into the sunset is that this is probably the time that they need Bob Myers more than ever if we're going to be frank.
0: For sure. For sure. To navigate what's going to be the choppiest waters they've had at least since 2019. Maybe not the choppiest waters ever, but at least since
1: 2019. And I'd make the argument that it's one of the choppiest waters ever. I'd make the argument it's the choppiest waters ever.
0: Because at least in 2019, you knew you had Steph coming back and that Clay would eventually get healthy. And in exactly. this case, we've got we've got everybody that much older and a lot of financial pressures and the young guys not delivering as of yet. Um, yeah, I I would say so. Like this is the time that you would want him there. Um, but I would also just say this like, you know, we've all talked ad nauseum about warriors' culture and what that means. And every time you bring that up, the first thing that Bob Myers or Steve Kerr will say is, Well, the culture is Steph. And I think there's a lot of truth mm-hmm. to that. I think Steph is 75, 80% of that. But the rest of it is some combination of Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, and maybe even a couple percentage points of Joe Lacob and that ownership group that have given, that have empowered their best people to, to do the things that they do, Me, you know, that front office and, and Steve Kern's staff that have, that have given them all the resources financially in the world to do all this stuff. So there's a little bit of, of ownership group there too, but Bob Myers, not only is it his basketball acumen, not only the way he operates with his front office and the, the collaborative approach they've always taken, but also just his humanity. Like if you think about mm-hmm. a healthy culture, a healthy workplace, I said, th- I think about Bob Myers Coming out literally the day that we all find out about Draymond's punch and Bob Myers, like there are teams in this league, including one in my backyard, where the GM doesn't talk ever. <laughs> not good times, yeah. not bad times, not medium times, not any times. Bob Myers came out at a time that things were there they their most sensitive, their most alarming, their most fragile potentially. And said, no, I'm going to come out and I'm going I'm to say, here's what we know and here's what we don't. And here's what I can tell you and, and what I'm not going to tell you. He, like yeah, That accountability and that humanity is really important. And I also think about it in the wake of Durant blowing out his Achilles that night in, in Toronto back in 2019. And Bob Myers sitting mm-hmm. up there in tears, basically. Um, like that humanity is part of their culture, too. So Bob Meyer's leaving. If that were to happen, I think is a is a, is a huge blow to just the 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 whole fabric of of what the Warriors are. It's still about the players at the end of the day, and, and it's still about Steph more than anybody at the end of the day. But I like that would be a bad look. I don't think it's going to happen. We, we went through this with Masai Ujiri and the Raptors a couple years ago. Um, you know, sanity and and logical decision making one out there. I'm sure it will here too. We don't even really know what the holdup is. So this is this is a fact without context at this point.
1: Exactly, I, I agree with you, and and also here's another thing. And me and I've written about this extensively, and I know you have too as well. And when you talk to anybody within the Warriors organization, you gotta you ask the question: What do they want to be? And the thing is, they want to be a glitzier, glamorous, more glamorous version of the San Antonio Spurs. They want that longevity. They want that type of um, of longevity. And how do you do that? You keep the the people that have been successful in place. You keep as long as Steph is is playing at a high level, and maybe that's I don't know three, four more years. We'll see what happens. But as long as that's in a high level, you keep the the institution in place. That's I I, I firmly believe that that's what they have to do, and. You should honestly, as long as Bob wants to be uh, in charge, you should, he should be in charge. As long as, as, as Kerr wants to be coaching, you keep them in charge. You know, As long as Steph wants to play on your roster, you keep them people in charge. And I think that's what's going to win out in, in Golden State. You know, Anything can happen, but if you look at history as a guide and what the Warriors want to accomplish, I think that Bob Meyer stays in
0: place. I'd be stunned, stunned, absolutely shocked beyond belief if he weren't, the sh- could you ch-
1: imagine the shockwaves if he likes, if, if it announces, oh, Bob Myers is not returning? It's not even just like a, it wouldn't just be a footnote. That would have, that would knock off, that would have so many different effects towards different types of things. What is Steph going to think about that? Who's going to navigate through this offseason when honestly the roster might, is going to look a lot different, in my opinion. It's going to look a lot, I don't know the moves, but it's going to look a lot different than it does this season.
0: But it, and it goes back to again the thoughts that popped in my head when you said, "Do you believe in the Warriors' institution?" Because part one, Bob Myers; part two, as you said, next summer, right? Like, uh, is 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 Draymond opting in, opting out? Are they trading him with a year left on his deal if he opted in? Uh, is are is he walking? Um, you know, those are questions we never would have thought about the, the Warriors without Draymond before. But we're getting feels like closer to that that possibility, right? Like just by, by, yeah. by contract and age and circumstance, it's hard to, to say that that's not somewhere out there, right? Like or what
1: if they want a title and this and that, and that delays the inevitable, right? If they yeah. want a title, they're not trading away anyone. They're not, Hell I no. think they, no, if they want a title no. with this roster, they're going to go, they're going to go in full and try to win another one. So like, yeah, it's just so many different question marks. And I think you need to, to ride the, ride the ship as long yeah. as, it, as long as you have this going on.
0: Yeah, a- agreed. So to to the to the actual question of like, do I believe in the Warriors' institution? Like for the season, like their ability to repeat and all of that, I do. I absolutely do. Part of it is we've seen them start to recover, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, over the last fifteen games, which is a decent chunk. Fifteen games is, is at least a month of games. They've been top ten both offense and defense. Um, we see Steph playing at MVP level every night. Clay Clay is actually looking like pre Achilles Clay. Pre-ACL that was another play. thing
1: I wanted to say really quickly about the Jason Tatum thing. I need to. I cannot disrespect Clay. Clay was defending his ass off on Jason Tatum. He was t- defending t- his t- t- ass off. <laughs> was he was doing uh, his thing.
0: He was. And how many times have we like? How many moments of that Clay have we seen since he came back? And when we say since he came back, it's still been less than a year, right? He was out for two and a half years, almost a thousand days. Yeah. And just came back in January. We're in December now, so it's been 11 months. It's not even 12 months yet, and we're judging him on like, oh well, Clay, you know, he's got his moments here and there, but he's not the old Clay anymore. And then, well, he had the off season this summer, and he still doesn't. It it's you know, it's it's a lot, folks. It's a lot that you got to go through. I did this math the other day. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it real quick again here on Basketball Reference. All right, last 10 games for Clay Thompson, averaging 23 and a half points shooting 450 from three point range 449 but 44.9% for three point range while averaging 23 points a game 3.6 rebounds 2.5 assists like he's looking like the old clay the offensive stats and that's a 10 game sample that's 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 more than a couple of games um and defensively what we saw the other night against Boston and against Tatum that's a really good sign for them to say the least and and they need it um, because you know Jordan Poole's still a little up and down and young and Kuminga's showing signs again, but you know it, it's hard to rely on that night in night out. And, and he again, Kuminga's not Clay. He doesn't bring everything to the table that Clay does. But when you just need a a critical mass of guys who can do something with the ball in their hands, who can score, who can take some of the pressure off Steph, seeing you know 2018, 19 version of Clay back again is huge for them on top of everything else, by the way, like, who do you fear in the Western conference right now? I mean, we'll talk about, you know, parody in a minute, probably, but like no one's pulling away. So there's that the the Warriors, despite everything are four and a half games out of first, um, Pelicans are in first right now. And they're really, really good. And the Grizzlies we know are good. And the Nuggets are good. The Suns are good, you know, a little shaky at the moment. You know, Kings are revived. I don't think they're in the title chase. Portland is fine; they're not in the title chase. The Clippers might be. Um, We'll see. They're still trying to get healthy, and I still don't know what to make of Kawhi Leonard. You trust
1: any of those teams in a seven-game series against the Warriors? That's the
0: thing. That's the thing, right? So when you're trying to make an argument that the Warriors can't repeat, it's got to be well. Then who? Like, who is it that they can't beat, or who is it that is so stacked that you just can't deal with them now? Zion's just a whole other thing, man. Like, Zion's from a different planet. And I don't know that any team can stop Zion, especially when he's got, eventually, Brandon Ingram back out there with him. He's hurt right now. And CJ McCollum and that group, like, they're really well-balanced. And I think they're going to be a handful for anybody. But no, there's no one team. And they don't have the experience, right? Like, that group has never really been through it. They've been to one playoff series. uh, Once CJ arrived, the the rest of the young guys really haven't been anywhere. Zion's never been in a playoff series. Um... So yeah, I, I, there, there's no team in the West that you look at and say like this team is the class of the West or far and away better than anybody else. And when the Warriors are clicking on all cylinders, they're probably the, still still the best team. So um, th- there's still a path there, but I, but man, it's a, it's it's a dogfight in the West.
1: You made a great transition, Howard. Just in terms of talking about the Pelicans, that's some team that are, that's really fascinating to me. They are the team. They remind me of. Um, just the natural evolution of like they remind me of in a different way. Maybe the the thunder of, the, of that early 2010s, right? Where they're a team that they're winning exponentially. You know, they got the the eight seed and they they really made some noise last year. I was at that um, I was at that Phoenix series a little bit, and they were a team that was kind of on the ascent. And I know that they're getting a lot of love right now, and they should. But I don't. I just don't trust them right now. I don't, hmm. and this has nothing to do with how good they are, or how how where they're going to be. I just mean in this moment in time, I don't trust them in the postseason. I don't just for all the reasons that you laid out. Is there? A, can you give me really quickly the um the Pelicans uh, title the title run right now? Just give it to me right now. How it figures itself out? Like what does it do? How do how how should I be convinced that? Everyone's telling me that the Pelicans, all oh, man, the Pelicans—they're ready to make a finals, and they're ready to make a finals. And I'm looking at them, and I'm like, "Have you guys seen the last few champions? It doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. How? What is the the Pelicans' path to a title this season?"
0: And I was one. Let me back up. Preseason, and I wrote, you know, Zion Williamson feature for our our cover for the NBA preview issue, right? So I spent time with Zion, and I, I certainly spent a lot of time in the preseason thinking about. The Pelicans and what it meant that Zion Williamson, this kind of generational type talent, was coming back to a team that added CJ McCollum, that made this this unlikely playoff run after recovering uh, midseason after getting CJ McCollum in that trade, and and what they could become. And I thought, like in a tough Western Conference, all right, I think the Pelicans are ready to be a top six team. <laughs> they're they're ready to make get up an outright playoff spot without needing to play in. That was my my optimistic view of the Pelicans. I think they're ready to bust the top six. And here we are. <laughs> they've got the best record in the West in mid-December. They are third overall in defensive rating. They are behind only uh, Cleveland and Milwaukee. Um, they are fifth overall in offense. So they've got their top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency. That's a pretty big deal, and it's not a fluke. Um, they've got great individual defenders. They've got a lot of versatility in their lineup. They've got a ton of shooting, and they've got at full strength. They've got three guys, Logan, who can all do a lot of stuff with the ball in their hands. If you watched them beat the Suns in that second game, probably in the first game too. I caught. I watched the entire first, second game. I didn't see as much of the first game. Um, you know, Zion's playing point. Zion still like we thought. Oh, they got CJ McCollum. Well, he's now the primary ball handler and plus they've got Ingram and he's not playing right now, but like there's two guys who need the ball in their hands a lot. And I do still think, by the way, to the extent that I still have some, it's not even skepticism, just curiosity about the Pelicans. It's like when they're at full strength, you still got to find the right balance between those three. They all need to eat. They all need the ball in their hands. They're all used to controlling the offense and having the ball in their hands a lot. You I think there's still some working out that'll have to be done, but so far so good. And they all seem like they're, they're no one's being selfish on this team. That's a really good sign. You know, Zion's not, not too eager after being out for a year and a half of trying to say, I got, I got to do it all now and show that I'm still me. Like there are those, he has those moments for sure, but, but it's not a lot, but he's bringing the ball up the court. He's running plays. He's, you know, and, and then get willing to willingly giving it up and might get it back. Might not. Like, they've got so many ways to attack you, and Zion on the move with the ball is scary as shit for for anybody (laughs) in the NBA. And Ingram can create with the ball in his hands, and obviously C.J. McCollum can. Like, how many teams have that kind of uh, luxury and versatility, Um, plus a lot of shooting and defense around them? So, listen, in the abstract, there's nothing about them that that says to me that they can't actually make a title run other than... The obvious. And look, I'm I'm a big believer in the unwritten, um, not the unwritten rules of the NBA, but the unwritten uh, axioms of the NBA. And one of them is that youth doesn't win. And one of them is that you got to take your lumps if you're a, a team that has not been through it yet. They were in one playoff series without Zion and lost to the Suns in six games. I don't think you usually go from that to finals. But then again, the Phoenix Suns just kind of completely trashed that model, that axiom just a couple of seasons ago so it could happen again um and this is the thing if i'm going to make an argument that the warriors despite whatever flaws they've got can can get back to the finals because the west is so wide open and there's no one other well, than i got to be able to make the same argument probably for new orleans and phoenix and maybe even denver too and the clippers right like it's 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 anybody if if you've got the requisite talent in the in the west right now it's almost anybody's race it's going to be who's healthy and clicking in march and april
1: that is interesting. I mean, I, I get what you're saying and I understand that. I understand why you're saying it. My thing is, I just, you know, it's a whole different game in the postseason. Yeah, it's cool that you have True. the stats and you and you have the offensive and defensive efficiency right now. But what about when a team, a good team, a really great defensive team can just hone in on Zion and, and she, the film, and hone in on him for two weeks, right? That's another thing that Zion just has, like, to your point, just hasn't faced yet, just a team that is locked in on beating him and taking him away. And they're going to have to go through those growing pains in the similar way that, like, the Grizzlies have, right? The Grizzlies are a great team. I think the Grizzlies are going to be a great team for for years to come. and um, But we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I just... I, I love what they're doing. They're doing things that a young team does, like the the dunk at the end of a game that you have in the bag, right? They're just <laughs> doing really young team shit. That's why that's it was what awesome. gives. It was amazing. It was a great <laughs> dunk, and I love the energy. However, that it just shows your youth, and it just shows you're just, you're, you're, I don't think you're ready. I just don't think they're ready yet. I yeah. think that they're going to be, I really, I want the Pelicans to be really good. Did you see that fucking crowd yeah. <laughs> when they played against the Suns again? Dude, yeah. they, they are, re- New Orleans is ready. Yeah. They're ready. They, they, they're ready for a contender. I just don't know if it's going to happen this season in particular. And it has nothing to do with them and how good they can be. It's just a growing, I'm a believer of the growing pains and, yeah. and, 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 and taking your lumps. And it's all good. I think that they're going to figure it out. I just, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not sold just yet.
0: By the way, before any Grizzlies fans uh, hit me for not putting them in that sentence with the Clippers and the Nuggets and the Suns and the Pelicans and the Warriors, the, the Grizzlies are obviously in that conversation too. If it's anybody's race, they are in that conversation. Um, I do think that the youth and inexperience of the Grizzlies was among the factors in in not being able to get through the Warriors. I do think those same factors could be in play when the Pelicans get to the postseason next spring. Um, I don't think Zion's... Uh, uh, showboating dunk it has like to me it doesn't matter one way or the other in terms of their readiness. But I see what you're saying, Logan. Like you're you're not wrong in saying like that is an indication still of their immaturity on some level.
1: Cause I don't believe in the unwritten rules. It's not like I don't care about the dunk. I loved it. I was I was I was I was here for it. It just speaks to what a team does when they're on the ascent is all I'm saying. That's yes. what it seemed like. Like that's right. that's that's what teams do when they're on the ascent.
0: No, I I get you. And I I think that's fair. Um I also think, by the way, still, if I'm Kevon Looney, uh, Draymond, whoever else, I don't want, I don't want any pieces like that. I'm, I'm hoping somebody else knocks the Pelicans out before I see them in the playoffs. Like, not that they would fear them. The Warriors aren't going to fear anybody. Zion's just a whole other thing, man. Like, it's yeah. Look, I, I think it's, I think the, any skepticism about them based on their youth and experience is fair. And there's a lot of youth in that rotation, right? Like, outside of CJ and maybe Larry Nance Jr. And I don't even think like the two of them, like. Obviously, CJ got a a ton of playoff experience in in Portland and some big, big games. Um, Larry Nance, you know, a little bit. Um, The rest of that roster, the rest of that Pelicans roster is not, you know, there's not... CJ might have more playoff experience than, like, the rest of the rotation combined, for all I know. And I think that matters. And I think that will show up in the postseason. So if that's the source of skepticism, like, I think that's fair.
1: Let's take a quick break, and I want to talk about parity in the NBA. And we are back. I want to talk about Howard's story from last week. It is entitled This NBA Season's Dirty Middle Secret, an unparalleled parody. It's a really, really good article. Make sure you guys check that out on sportsillustrated.com, the daily cover. But you really got into talking about parody in the NBA. And there were some numbers that I really, that was really good. You talked about the number of teams within three games of 500 during the first quarter of the season. And I think you went from the uh, the 90s all the way into present day. So in the uh, three seasons that have, have had the most teams within three games of 500 during the first quarter of the season, or actually four seasons, it is the the current season, the 22-23 season um, with 17 teams, the 21-22 season with 13 teams, the 05-06 season with 15 teams, and the 95-96 season with 12 teams. Now... When I look at the 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 uh, amount of parity in the league throughout these seasons, these all seem like transitional years within the NBA, right? Where you talk about uh, the '95 '96 season. With uh with with the that was it's always defined by the ninety-six Bulls, but it's also when Kevin Garnett is about to come into the league, right? When Shaq's about to come into his own and uh and start he's he's about four three or four years from making, you know, the Lakers dynasty, right? And then you have the oh five, oh six season where um, you know, LeBron is kind of coming into his own. He's about a couple of years away from going to the finals. And then you have the Spurs run right there, but you have like about a big, a bit of a changing of the guard. I'm starting to see that now um, with these last two seasons where, um, where you see, you know, the Kevin Durant's are getting older. The Steph Curry's are getting older. LeBron James is in his 20th year and has shows no signs of, 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 of slowing up, but, what is that what does that tell you with parity in the NBA? Is it a matter of do you think it's because of a transitional time where we are at in the league or what other factors would you put into the reason why we're having so much parity um, in the league right now?
0: Yeah, I mean if we were talking about just a changing in the guard, changing of the guard um at the finals level, you would look at Steph, LeBron even though the Warriors were just there again, but Steph LeBron, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, like those four guys have accounted for I, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but how many finals and how many championships in the last decade plus just those four guys, Steph, KD, Kawhi, LeBron, right? Um, and they're all, like, three of those guys are up there. Kawhi's not quite as old, but might as well be based on his health and his lack of availability. So, But that's at the top, top level. And the interesting thing, Logan, about the parity right now is, right, we still have an upper shelf, right? Milwaukee, Boston, and and New Orleans, um, are are at the top of the league. There's a bunch of teams clustered at the bottom, you know, Orlando, Detroit, Houston, right? It's this really wide middle that's the thing, right? You alluded to the stat that we used in the story. At the quarter mark of the season, 17 teams were within three games of 500, meaning either three over or three under. That's the most ever in the NBA. And by other metrics that the NBA keeps that were more complicated that I did not want to get into because I didn't understand them because I'm not a statistician, Yes, every indication was that through one quarter of the season this is the tightest the NBA's ever been. So the the question is why and I don't think there's any definitive answers um and it may not last. It may not last even the course of this season and it may not last until next season. But I did like survey a bunch of people for the story just to get some theories. You point out the changing of the guard or or kind of suggest maybe there's part of that one of the things that people kept telling me was like, it's just that the talent is so good right now. We've got so much great talent. So even while you've got the older players are still playing at a high level, right? Like normally guys in their mid thirties, Steph's not supposed to be playing like an MVP anymore. LeBron, Kevin Durant, like these guys shouldn't still be playing at this level, but in today's NBA, they are. And while they're still playing at that level, we have Luca and Jason Tatum and Uh, and, 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 you know, obviously Jokic is now kind of mid-career, but we've got this, we've got the younger guys. We've got the John Morant, Shea Gilgis-Alexander breakout star, De'Aaron Fox starting to break out. Like we've got a bunch of young guys, Zion, um, who are kind of ready to, to, to be the, the driving forces in this league. Devin Booker, another one. Um, but the old guys are not playing like old guys. The guys who defined the last decade of NBA basketball are still playing at an incredibly high level. So that doesn't happen normally. So that's probably all part of it, but it and and people you know broadly speaking agreed too that the the level of talent overall in the NBA has just never been better. And I think that that's true. Um but there were some other you know theories about parity. Um some people said it was the coaching and embracing of analytics as well um and that there's you know better coaching than than there's ever been. Uh it's the way that the schedule has been optimized, so there's fewer schedule losses, which might benefit the uh, the, the teams that um, don't have as much talent. It's it's an equalizing force, um, and then you know from the league's perspective, you know they certainly felt like, hey, listen, we reshuffled the lottery odds, made them flatter. We instituted this play-in tournament, and that's that's made it less. There's less incentive to tank. So if there's less incentive to tank, in theory, more teams are starting each season actually attempting to win so that they can at least be in the play-in chase.
1: One of the other things that I would like to add on that is just player health in general, right? Like the way players take care of their bodies is way different than, you know, back in the day, right? So you have a lot more availability of your top guys. And I know there has been a lot, I just meant more of like science when you talk about how KD is playing at a high level, and LeBron is playing at this level in his 20th NBA season. I think that is also an, <laughs> I about to I think turn that's also a factor as well.
0: Yeah, it's insane. No, sports science is, is part of this too, for sure. And there's two sides to the player rest thing, right? Like teams and players will defend load management, player rest, whatever, however you want to call it. On the on the basis of it will extend careers. On the basis of it will potentially save you from injuries that are caused by fatigue. And that's a kind of an unprovable thing, right? We you don't you can't prove the injuries that never happened and say that this is the reason why they didn't happen. The positive side of that is in theory that's why guys are playing even deeper into their careers. I mean, you could put Chris Paul in that conversation too, right? Like he's starting to show that mm-hmm. decline, but man, the guy's still been you know all NBA caliber guard the last couple of years into his late thirties. The flip side of it is to the parody question. If stars are resting more than ever, if players are resting more than ever, again, that's opening the door for less talented teams to beat the more talented teams some nights. And so maybe that's part of the even even uh, aspect of the standings too.
1: So we're, we're, we just got out of the uh, moratorium in terms of when guys that got signed over the summer can get traded. And um, I, I think about a team like the Lakers, right? Who are definitely in the trade market. Um, And other teams just like that who were kind of in the middle of the road. But as you touched on, you know, the top of the Western Conference and the bottom of the Western Conference um, in terms of playoff standings is about three or four games. Like it's not like theoretically a team at the bottom could go and go on a quick little run and get to the near the top of the standings. Warriors could be a good example of that if they continue this this uh, their trend that they're going through. What do you? How do you feel that the level of parity right now will affect this season in terms of the trade market? When, if you look at the Lakers, some Russell well Russell, excuse me, Russell Westbrook is playing really, really well right now, and that's a big trade piece for them. Do they roll the dice and say, "Hey, he's playing well with us right now," or do they keep? or do they do they say, "No, nah, we're going to cut bait. We know what it is. We're going to trade him." How is that going to affect this level of parity? How will that affect how um, we see this trade market?
0: Yeah, let me take the, the the macro view first, which is that if the parity holds through the next month, the next two months, really, I, like I, I could really screw up the trade market entirely for the season, right? If too many teams feel like they can't pull the plug, right? You need sellers, you know. You'll always mm-hmm. have potential buyers, teams that want to buy, teams that want to fortify themselves for the stretch run, for the playoffs, for a specific matchup that they have in mind um a guy goes down we need another shooter we need another you know uh, perimeter defender whatever it may be there'll always be buyers but there's you're going to have a, a a lack of sellers if the standings are still this tight if everybody thinks oh we're two wins away from being at least being a play in team and you know look the the owner of the team really wants the to us to be relevant and really wants us to, you know they want a, ch- a shot at that playoff cash and that playoff gate Or, you know, hey, you know, if if you're a team like the Kings, like the Kings are solidly fine right now. But if you were on the on the edge, you'd be like, no, man, we we're all in to break our longest in North America playoff drought right now. Like we're not we're not we're not planning for next year We're it's all about now. So if you don't have enough teams that are willing to kind of, you know, take a couple steps back in the in the near term, the whole trade market could get screwed up. So we'll see what we won't know for a while how if the parity holds and whether it it has a negative impact on the trade market. On the Lakers in specific, Logan, this Westbrook thing is interesting, right? Because, all right, on the one hand, the Lakers have revived themselves. On the other hand, they barely beat the Pistons last night with all three of their stars available and playing. They're four games under 500 as we speak. They're 12th in the West. They're still badly flawed. And the Westbrook thing is funny, right? He's played just well enough that okay, this is working. He's embraced the sixth man thing. He's he's playing really effectively in that role. But he still can't shoot. He still doesn't defend. He still doesn't play off the ball. He still sometimes, sometimes takes just absolutely baffling shots at the worst times. Like all the flaws of Russell Westbrook still exist. All the flaws of the Lakers roster still exist. And no matter how well he plays, it's not like some team out there thinks they're one Russell Westbrook and his $47 million salary away from making the playoffs or from winning a championship. So there's no market for him without the t- without the one or two future picks attached, no matter how well he's played.
1: Right, the Lakers are in this interesting situation though, right, where this summer can be a really big summer for them as well, right? They get that 47 million dollars off of their books from Russell Westbrook and they can probably go get someone in the in the and the offseason, whatever that is, I'm I'm doing the the uh, the Lakers propaganda machine where you know it's always next year. We are there, Lakers. Always got free agency, and everybody right? wants to come because we're the Lakers. Exactly, but the thing is though, they have to uh, uh, the front office in Los Angeles has to toe that line of saying, "Hey man, we want to win right now." Versus, "Hey dog, if we just be patient, we can we can really we can really put together a roster and keep our picks." What's up? What's popping? Right? Like they're in that. They're in that situation. It's going. It's going to be interesting. Do you think that Russell's going to stay on the team by by uh by the end of the year? Will he have a Lakers jersey on? Educated
0: guess. There's. A- I think there's a better than average chance that he still is in a Lakers jersey when the season ends. I don't think that's actually the right thing though. Like my opinion mm. is, they need to trade him still because they, the Westbrook plus picks trade for whether it's for Heald and Turner, wh- whatever it's for to me is still the best, is, is, is the smartest pass because we don't know how many more seasons of this LeBron you're going to get. You may get none. This might be the last one. One of these years yeah. is going to be the last one that LeBron plays at an all-NBA level. One of them's going to be. It might be this one. And if it's this one, and you're, you're counting on rolling in, into the postseason should you make it, and that's no guarantee, and you're counting on rolling in with this roster, come on. This roster's not getting out of the first round.
1: I mean it's, it might not even get to the playing game right now at this well, point. Well,
0: and if they got to the play and they're not even guaranteed to get out of the play and into the playoffs, and then as a seventh or eighth seed against a Pelicans team, there there's a fun matchup, by the way. The Pelicans eliminating the Lakers and then the Pelicans swapping for their pick.
1: <laughs> That'd be tight. About, but there's about, another oof. I mean, that that is a great one. I'm 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 keeping mine out my hope out for uh Lakers Kings in, in Sacramento.
0: That one will be fun too for all kinds of other reasons. Um, for all and, nostalgia and as, reasons. <laughs> listen, man, you know me as a veteran of many, many Lakers Kings playoff games. Yeah um, I would I would welcome that, but come on, Lakers Pelicans after the know, Anthony Davis swap. After the, the 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 Pelicans have swap rights on the Lakers' pick next, they know have June. home court
1: advantage. They have home court advantage.
0: Oh man, oh. like the the Pelicans fans going at Anthony Davis, like oh man, it would just there there would just be so much fun stuff there. But no, like I don't think the, the Lakers have a reasonable chance of making a playoff run of any sort with this roster. So d- deciding, like it's a really interesting thing, Logan, for the for the franchise to make a decision. You know what? We know, like maybe they don't know the roster's flawed. Maybe they don't think it's flawed. But if they realize the same flaws that the rest of the world does with this roster, it's fine. You know what? Um, we'll fix it this summer. You're you're basically uh, consciously saying we know we can't go anywhere, but we would rather keep our picks because we're afraid of trading them, and and we'll just burn the year and we'll say you know what? Like we'll 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 take care of it next season. Ah, you don't know what next season is going to bring. You don't know what version of LeBron you're going to get. So um, I, I think you have to be all in all the time at this stage. And if that means trading Westbrook and one or both of those future picks, you do it. Um, you may not be getting an all-star in return. It, it doesn't matter. You you need to fill some holes. You don't have enough shooting. You don't have enough defense. You don't have enough size.
1: So I my argument is I think they should just... I mean, if it requires putting picks out with Russell Westbrook and in a trade, and you can just let them go for nothing in the offseason, I'm more inclined to just keep them. Why not? You know, as the most important thing is all parties are aligned.
0: The most important thing is winning right now, Logan. The most important thing I, is bro- that by 2027, like, LeBron could be retired. Like, th- you only have
1: now. Like, what are you waiting for? That's fair. I I know. I know. I, I know. I just, I, I just don't think that they have a chance of winning this season whether they make a trade or not. Like, I think the yeah. Lakers are doomed in a lot of ways already. If,
0: and, and you know what? That may well be the case. And if that is the case, like that's a pretty depressing um, uh, reality for them to be having to internally acknowledge if they believe that, too. Because that's what it really is, right? There's two ways of interpreting no moves. We think we're good enough, in which case they're deluding themselves. Or we know we we've got no shot even if we made a good trade, in which case that's a pretty bad indictment of them, too. <laughs>
1: I would love to get LeBron on Truth Serum. I would love to get him just to just see what he truly feels about this roster, even though that he kind of helped create it. it that's just, that would be fascinating.
0: But I think we know. I, th- I think we know. What yeah. he, like he's 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 biting his tongue this time. But like we know, you know, he's for sure. he's and yeah, he's at least partially responsible because he he was an advocate for the Westbrook deal, which was a catastrophically bad decision by them. Um, but. You know, and and no one trade is going to fix everything, right? Like the only thing that could fix the Lakers at this point is a freaking time machine to go back and re-sign Alex Caruso, not trade Kuzma and Contavious Caldwell-Pope for Russell Westbrook. For no
1: reason, for no reason. They didn't like, have to do that deal.
0: I keep going back. <laughs> keep Danny Green for that matter too. Like, like <laughs> use that time if you get that time machine, use it well. Take back basically every depressing. move you made since the championship.
1: <laughs> This is a very depressing conversation. Okay, I, I do want to but more on the parody side. You did put bring up a good point in terms of the hard cap to keep parody going in the in the in the um in the league. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I don't think I don't know if you're sure if that's going to happen at all. Like, will we ever have a hard cap in this league? Do you think we're ever going to get to that point? What would be a more reasonable expectation in terms of how the cap will be going forward? So I'm going to just
0: step out of, of my um, journalist role here for a second and just say, like, if I were a, a, um, a competitive balance purist, right, if I thought. So actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up. Jerry Buss once years ago. People are always surprised when I bring up this anecdote, and I wish I had the quote in front of me. Um, Jerry Buss used to meet with us, the Laker beat writers, once a year in the preseason when I was covering the team, and this was sometime around like you know 2000, maybe 99. It was probably 2000 because it was after that CBA had been signed, and that was the CBA, the 98 lockout going into 99 was the first one that had max salaries for individual players. It was the first CBA Mm -hmm. that that instituted a luxury tax, a far lesser luxury tax. But so the tax was going to come into play a couple of years down the road. They built it in so that it would be delayed so people could get ready for it. And we asked Jerry Buss at one point about, probably about the tax itself in this new system with all these these restrictions. And Jerry Buss, famously a, a highly competitive poker player in his time. And Jerry Buss said, "Listen, I'm a poker player. I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but it was basically like I'm a poker player. And to me, how do you know the best, you know, player at the table? We, you know, we all start with the same number of chips, and we, and now we see who's best. And that was his argument, by the way, in favor of a system in which everyone more or less had the same limits on spending. This is the owner of the Lakers talking, the Lakers who now make a bazillion times more than almost any other team, other than the Knicks, in their local TV revenue." who are, along with the Knicks, the biggest contributors to revenue sharing, which then goes to all these smaller market teams. It's a different time, granted. This is 20 years ago. But Jerry, I always remembered that quote, Logan, because it, I, there's, a, there's a kind of a platonic competitive ideal there. Hey, what if we all just started with the same number of chips and see who spent them smartest on, 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 our, on our players, right? So a hard cap system, a true hard cap, an NFL-style hard cap, where everybody spends the same amount, and if you want this guy, you might have to cut that guy or or let this guy walk in free agency. Um, it's never going to happen, but would it would it be the closest to thirty team parity we'd ever see?
1: Yes. Well, here's the other thing, though. We're already at the at, at historical parity before you even put a hard cap in, right? Like who spent the most who spent the most money last year? I mean, the Warriors did spend the, spend a lot of money, but you know who else spent a lot of money? The Brooklyn Nets. Where did they go? And another another small market team, like it doesn't, it's going to work. I feel like the game is going to work itself out no matter what, right? Like you're going to get, competence is going to always win.
0: I'll push back on that slightly. So competence can trump spending, but competence plus spending power can be unbeatable, right? That's the Warriors. Yeah. And so the Nets had spending power Minus, I would say the competence. I'm not saying that means that Sean Marks is incompetent. I'm just saying like it's the wrong big three, right? Um, And it was one wrong player in particular, and and then you know everything else comes unraveled, and you make a trade that you weren't planning to make, all that stuff. So spending alone doesn't guarantee anything. But if you're a really smart franchise and you've got the spending power that say the Grizzlies or the Pacers or the Hornets or you know the the Timberwolves that that they don't have the Thunder. My, my counterpoint to, to what you're saying about, hey, listen, you know you could spend at the high end, at the low end, and you could still have a championship team. The best counter to that is the Thunder, the Thunder that, that had Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Ibaka, and had to make tough choices because the, the new punitive luxury tax was coming in after the 2011 CBA, and they weren't willing to spend as high as, as, as they needed to to keep James Harden. They were fearful of the tax. The Warriors don't care. The Warriors don't care because they don't have to care. So if every team could do what the Warriors did, so that's the thing. Take
1: the Warriors... Draft record. I'll push back on that a little bit. I'll push back on the Warriors not caring a little bit. They they were in, they over the summer, they were not making the money that they thought they were going to make. Is that okay. fair? They weren't they weren't they weren't doing that. They were in the red for the first time throughout their run, right? Now they sure. doubled down and, and, and signed Wiggins and Poole, but if they're not winning titles, they're gonna feel that pinch and they're gonna trade oh, yeah. a lot of those guys. This is what's of gonna course. happen.
0: So here's here's the best way to, to for me to frame this. And and I and I don't I, like uh, to me, <laughs> this is an Im- like a an indisputable argument. Take the Warriors, everything they've done, every draft pick, every trade, every hire, the coach, the GM, everything. But magically transport that franchise, starting in 2014 or whatever, or starting with the Steph draft. But that franchise isn't in San Francisco or Oakland in the Bay Area. They are in Memphis this whole time. They're in o- they're in Oklahoma City this whole time. This team isn't together right now. This team, this roster as we know it is not together right now. And that is is proof positive of why spending does matter. It's not that you could spend your way to prosperity on the court necessarily. It's that if you make all the smart moves, the smart moves are going to get you players who are eventually going to command max deals. And only some teams, a handful, can afford to keep maxing and maxing and maxing a bunch of guys and a bunch of other teams the majority of teams and certainly all the small market teams would have had to have cut loose a bunch of those guys by now because of the punitive nature of the luxury tax system as it exists so like there that's so if we talk about like is does this system promote competitive balance some aspects of it do and some don't and the spending is still an issue which is why the NBA is proposing the quote unquote upper spending limit which sounds like a euphemism for a hard cap i've i've looked into it a little bit it's it's not really a hard cap it's really a it's a warriors cap <laughs> it's a it's a it's maybe it's a little bit of a nets cap it's a basically saying like we'll still have a soft cap system with exceptions and we'll still have a tax system everything that we already have now but at some point you can't just keep spending hundreds of millions on the tax just for the sake of keeping your team together because now the 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 uh, band of of payrolls is so wide. You're trying to keep teams within a, a slightly closer band. That's all. That's what the NBA's goal is.
1: Well, it's just interesting because the current luxury tax era that we're in now was put in place. The thought of it was... Teams are just not going to want to spend that much money, right? And there's obviously been different revenue streams coming into the league, right? Streaming the, the new TV deal is going to be really, really interesting. Um, and we'll see what happens. But there's been such this influx of cash that and we also have the the venture capitalists that have come in and that at during this era had unlimited gobs of money, right? It's just I, I don't think it's going to happen. The upper spending limit is might happen, but my argument is I just feel like at a certain point. Teams are still going to, try to, are going to try and go into circumvented. It's not going to change the way that the culture of what we already have in this league. I, I, teams are still going to spend money. There's still going to be outliers. There's still going to be all these things. I don't think that a hard cap or I don't think an upper spending limit is honestly going to change that. I mean, I know that there, that means there's going to be more guys situated around the league that wouldn't otherwise be there. But the, I feel like as the same organizations will still be at the top no matter where it's going to be depending on like, just basically on their front office and what they do with their with their with their teams. I think that's always going to be the case.
0: I I think the question is is more like, so the salary cap is what, 120, 125 million or whatever. And then the taxes couple, you know, you know, whatever, 20, 25 million more than that. So let's just say there's a system where the cap is 120 and the and the tax is 150. And the teams that are over the tax are at eh, 160, 170, 180. And then because of the way the taxes start um, getting higher and higher and there's a repeater tax, a team like the Warriors might, might only only be spending say 180 on actual payroll, but they're throwing out another 200 million in luxury taxes, right? They can afford to do that. The Grizzlies are going to hit the tax and they're going to try not to go too far because they don't make as much. And now you're going to have two teams that are rivals in their conference that have both been really like we no one would would disagree. The Grizzlies have been really smart about uh, trades, about signings, about draft, about everything. They've just they've been really good. They're like One of the best franchises in the NBA right now in terms of the way they're running the basketball side. But they're going to come up against a ceiling that the Warriors will never come up against. So that's that's the real issue. And if and if one team, if you have a band of of payrolls in the league where at the bottom end there are teams that are like a little over that are over the t- the cap but under the tax. So say they're spending 140. And you have other teams like the Warriors and the Nets that are spending 300, like that's just too too big of a span. That's the NBA's position. Um, not agreeing, not disagreeing. Just, but that, like, you can see where they think that that's a concern, and certainly concern for their smaller markets. Um, and and you know that like that's an age old issue.
1: Thank you so much for coming on, Mr. Beck. I really appreciate it. Um, that has been another edition of Monday Real Ones, Raja. We, 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 Our hearts are with you, brother. We'll see you hopefully on Thursday, big dog. Get, get well. Thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks, Logan. Appreciate you, man. Get well, Raja.
1: Yes, sir. Peace.